Hello and welcome to Habe Mus Papam, episode 234, Innocent the Tenth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope was born Giovanni Battista Pamphili in Rome in May of 1574. And if you've spent any time in Rome, you'll probably recognize his last name. Like, you probably recognize a lot of the last names of the recent popes. The Pamphili were one of those Roman families who were relatively new, as as far as Roman families go. You know, they weren't like the Orsini or the Colonna. But they were by this point firmly established as some of the major players in the Roman scene. In fact, Giovanni Battista's grandfather was a descendant of Pope Innocent VIII, and his grandmother was a descendant of Pope Alexander VI. Giovanni Battista was a second son, and so he was destined from a very early age to serve the church. His uncle primarily oversaw his education, and he was sent to study law at the Roman University. His uncle was named a cardinal in 1605 and then passed on his own positions to his nephew in the Roman Rota, which facilitated Giovanni Battista's rise through the papal curia. He stayed in that role for some time, and in part because his uncle died and he no longer had the support he needed in the papal court, he didn't move on that much. But he did get ordained a priest sometime before 1628, and with the papacy of Pope Gregory XV, who he had worked with in the past, he began his rise again. He was appointed nuncio to Naples in 1621. And then he was appointed a member of one of Pope Urban VIII's cardinal nephew's staffs, and then a papal representative to France and Spain. In 1626, he was ordained a bishop, the titular Patriarch of Antioch. His time as nuncio in Spain was not particularly productive, but he was still appointed a cardinal by Pope Urban VIII, first in secret in 1627, and then publicly in 1629. He worked throughout the remainder of Pope Urban's pontificate. He eventually became the Cardinal Carmen Lengo, one of the most senior positions in the Papal Curia. When Pope Urban VIII died in 1644, there wasn't a clear consensus as to who should succeed him. Consequentially, the conclave took a long time, over a month, and it was divided between several different factions, most notably those who were more pro-French and those more pro-Spain. A compromise candidate was found in Cardinal Pamphili, who wasn't hated but wasn't loved by everyone. In fact, when the French found out that he was likely to win, they sent someone to the conclave to veto the choice, but they got there too late, and in September of 1644, he was elected Pope. He took the name Innocent X after Pope Innocent VIII, who was not only one of his ancestors, but also helped get the Pamphili family started in Rome. Now, that attempted veto by the French is going to signal a papacy which was in conflict with the French for a significant chunk of the time. And the first conflict started almost directly after the conclave. We left off last episode with Pope Urban VIII's war over Castro and the papal states being out of money and seriously in debt. Pope Innocent had heard that some of the cause of the debt was due to mismanagement by Urban's cardinal nephews, and so he summoned the Barberini cardinals to make an account of their doings, and he established a commission to investigate. It wasn't the most effective legal strategy, though, and it seems to have been more a means of defeating the Barberini than actual justice. And so the Barberini cardinals fled Rome to France, where they were given sanctuary by Cardinal Maritzin, the prime minister to King Louis XIV. The Pope responded by stripping the cardinals, not just the Barberini, but also Cardinal Mazarin as well, of their property and threatening to remove them entirely from the College of Cardinals. Cardinal Mazarin responded by then having the King of France send an army into Italy to try and intimidate the Pope and hit him by attacking his nephew, who was in Tuscany. Now, this was just too much for Pope Innocent, who gave in to the French demands. He named Cardinal Mazarin's brother a cardinal. He reinstated the Barberinis and named one of their nephews a cardinal as well. 
which all sounds pretty nepotistic. And indeed, Pope Innocent, unfortunately, was quite nepotistic. He used his position to enrich his family and appointed a young nephew, Camillo, who wasn't up to the job to be the cardinal nephew and the deputy in charge of the papal states. At the same time, he was absolutely dependent on the widow of his brother for advice. Her name was Olympia Maidalkini, and she exercised tremendous influence over the Pope, to the point that some thought that they were having an affair. Most historians reject this outright, but it was not a healthy relationship regardless. The cardinal nephew, Camillo, had been named cardinal without ever being ordained, and not long after Pope Innocent's tenure, he decided to get married, and so the Pope removed his cardinal status. Which brings us to the next conflict in Pope Innocent's papacy, the reignition of the Wars of Castro. You remember last week that Pope Urban VIII fought a war with the Duke of Parma over a fortress city named Castro, and it didn't get anywhere. One of the conditions of the treaty that ended the war was a payment from Parma to Rome. And the new Duke of Parma refused to pay, and then on top of that refused to recognize the new bishop in Castro. So there was tension enough, but then when the Duke's supporters murdered the bishop on his way to Castro, it provoked all-out war. Pope Innocent sent the papal troops to Castro, destroyed it completely, and erected a sign on the site of the Duke's palace which said, Here stood Castro. The city has never been rebuilt. From one war to another, then. In the 1640s, negotiations had begun to end the Thirty Years' War. The Pope's ambassador to the Congress, the Nuncio Cardinal Fabio Gigi, was concerned about the direction the negotiations were going, that they were going to be detrimental to the church. He wrote back to the Pope about the results, and the Pope himself wrote to the Congress in protest of the negotiations. But his voice really didn't carry. The resulting treaty, known to history as the Peace of Westphalia, is widely credited with establishing the international order as we know it today. It protected the sovereignty of international boundaries, it allowed rulers to declare what the religion of their state was, but it also did not allow them to force the conversions of their people to that religion. And it ended 30 years of bloodshed in the European continent. Now, the Pope's protests got nowhere, so he called the cardinals together and declared in a document titled Zelo Domus Dei that the results of the treaty were null and void. Now, to be fair to the Pope, there were a lot of losses for the church. Whole dioceses were given away, and in some places, a Catholic bishop would have to trade off every year with a Protestant bishop as the bishop of the diocese. Religion was much more tied in with the fabric of international relationships, and so it's not as cut and dry as we might see things. Religious houses were likewise given away, and the rights of the church were trampled upon in other places. But this solemn protest got nowhere, showing how little even the Catholic rulers were willing to listen to the Pope at this point in time. But there was still room for the Pope when it came to theological matters, and that's when we have to start talking about a new heresy called Jansenism. Now, this is going to be with us for a while, and it's tied up with the French state because it has to do with a heresy named for a Belgian bishop named Cornelius Jansen who was devoted to the study of the theology of St. Augustine, and who wrote several works, none of which were published during his lifetime, which took a very strict view of God's grace and human free will. His principal work, Augustinus, asserted that only a small portion of humanity was given enough grace to be saved, in effect limiting those who had hope of salvation to the spiritual elite. Christ, according to the Jansenists, didn't die for everyone, but only those predestined to be saved. Now, none of this was published or preached during Jansen's life, and he directed his collaborators to include in the published version of his book, Augustinus, a disclaimer that he was an obedient son of the church, and that if the Holy See condemned any of his work, he would comply. But Jansen's good friend and seminary classman began preaching Jansenism after his death, and the movement started to spread. Urban VIII had condemned Jansenism towards the end of his pontificate, but was still immensely popular in France and Belgium during the pontificate of Pope Innocent X. The French bishops became increasingly divided over Jansenism, and the Pope decided that it would be best to create a commission of theologians to examine the work. 
After two years, the commission condemned five Jansenist theses, and Pope Innocent published the papal bull Cum Occasione, announcing the commission's decisions and the heretical nature of Jansenism. But the French church was too split for this to solve the problem, and many Jansenist supporters saw the Pope's condemnation as condemning not Jansen's teaching itself, but rather a caricature of his teaching. One of the most famous of those supporters was the great French philosopher Blaise Pascal. And so this problem's not going to go away. Even when the church condemns the teaching, they say, well, that's not actually what he taught, and so therefore we're still okay. And the conflict with the French bishops is not going to be going away either. It's added to this general conflict with France, and it's going to complicate things even more. But Pope Innocent died about a year later, on January 7th, 1655. He was buried in the church of Sant'Agnese in Agone and was succeeded by Pope Alexander VII, and we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Albemus Popham. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.